Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma. And I'm glad you've chosen today to listen to this, our podcast. I hope as you listen to this, you fall more in love with Jesus, and I also hope you fall more in love with His people. Enjoy this podcast today. We are in the middle of a series called Following what happens when we follow Jesus. And we've looked at counting the cost. We've looked at uh, when we follow Jesus, he expands some things in our lives. Uh, There's meaning that's expanded. There's love that's expanded in our lives. And today we're going to talk about an expanded revelation. Uh, I've got three titles for today's message. Title one is following, of course, because it's our series. Title two is expanded revelation. And title three, subtitle three is it's not my story. Look at somebody and say, it's not my story. We can walk away today getting that, it's not my story. If we can walk away grasping hold of that, I think that we will um, have accomplished what we needed to accomplish today. So years ago, I was, it was 1996, 97. Um, let me try, try to remember exactly when it was. Let's see if I can lose this without totally taking myself apart. Good. It was uh, 97, I want to say. I had completed one year of Oral Roberts University, not to be going back. I, uh, there was a big ch- uh, shake-up in a good way at the church I was attending uh, as well. My dad was on staff at the time. Uh, my best friend uh, was the pastor's son and, uh, at the time. And um, what had happened is God spoke prophetically to the church, and everyone on staff was literally un titled, not entitled, but untitled, and uh, the associate pastor was no longer considered the associate pastor, the worship pastor was no longer considered the worship pastor, the senior pastor no longer the senior pastor, God literally took the entire staff, uprooted them and said, I'm going to place you back how I want you to do that. In doing so, the worship pastor became the senior pastor, the associate pastor, uh, my dad wound up moving to northwest Arkansas, the senior pastor at the time moved to Danville, Illinois. If you can imagine, it was a pretty big shakeup, and it had nothing to do with sin, it had everything to do with God orchestrating some pretty amazing things, and he did it all at once, and the church is a thriving church today, um, which is really pretty cool. But uh, I was, through all of that, I was attending Oral Roberts University, and I felt very strongly that I did not need to stay at ORU. Um, the last thing I wanted to do was, be going, it was to go into full-time ministry. I wanted to go fully equipped, but I didn't want to go fully in debt. Um, it was going to look like I was going to be anywhere between eighty dollars and $100,000 in student loan debt if I stayed on the current course that I was going, and uh, that did not uh, sit well with me. So I um, felt very strongly that God was calling me to not just leave ORU, but leave the Tulsa area. And uh, so off I went to where only made sense, and that was where my pastor and my best friend were going, and that was Danville, Illinois, and I was prepared to move. All this time, my parents are moving, and I'll never forget, I had had gone up. I, I liked the idea of spying out the territory. I don't know why, because in the Old Testament, when, the, uh, sp- when they spied out the territory, it meant 40 more years of wandering, because <laughs> they couldn't quite get it figured out. But uh, anyway, so I, I went up to Danville, I spent a week or two up there, and man, things weren't going, coming together at all. Things weren't coming together 
one bit. I couldn't find employment. I couldn't figure out where I was going to live. Nothing felt right, but I just knew I was supposed to leave Tulsa. Close to the end, I remember uh, Pastor Phil was already up there. I was obviously there with him, and we were painting their basement. And I remember sitting down on a five-gallon can of paint and feeling like I was going to disappoint Pastor Phil. I said, Pastor Phil, I don't know that I'm supposed to move here. Phil looked at me, and he says, well, it's about time you figured it out. And I was like, you were going to let me move here? And I could not wrap my brain around it. And he says, Jeff, it wasn't my story to change. It wasn't up to me to hear from God for you. It was yours. It was only my job as your pastor to help confirm what God was showing you. And I learned very quickly in that moment through him that it wasn't his story. I think of that when it comes to when you hear somebody else's good news and you want to go share the world Tell the world that they know anyway. Did you hear what's going on with so-and-so? And we've got to remind ourselves that it's not our story to tell. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I want you to open up, if you can, to Matthew 14. We're going to look at the same story in a couple of different uh, translations, a couple of different um, uh, accounts in the Gospels. This particular story is accounted in three of the four Gospels. Um, Matthew's account is the most... Uh, uh, conclusive. It includes the, the bulk of the story. So we're going to start there. And if you remember last week, uh, Kayla, <laughs> that we talked about uh, Jesus feeding the multitudes twice. And I skipped the middle part. If you remember, he does, he feeds them, he sends his disciples uh, on a journey across a body of water, which is a pretty miraculous endeavor. And then he feeds more people. And we skipped that middle part. So I want to talk about that middle part today in detail. And Uh, Looking at Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, Jesus quickly, now I'm reading in God's Word translation, which is uh, a third grade level of reading that helps my brain comprehend, and I'm going to read it that, and then we're going to, Mark's account, we're going to look at the ESV translation as well as the Passion translation, uh, just because I like to look at it in various ways, and, and you'll see why as we through this, Jesus quickly made his disciples get into a boat and cross to the other side ahead of him while he sent the people away. And after sending the people away, he went up to a mountain to pray by himself. And when evening came, he was there alone. Now, don't forget the events that have happened. You've got to remember that just prior to this, he has fed 5,000 men plus women and children through a miraculous endeavor, and he's proven that it doesn't matter what we hold on to in our hands, that if we would at least release what God has put in our hands, he can do great and mighty things through that. But even prior to that, he's just heard of his cousin, his beloved John the Baptist being beheaded. And, and if, if he were me, I'd want to go and I'd want to mourn and wail and cry and do all the things that I'd want to do. But he had compassion upon a multitude of people. And I can imagine now that he's gone to the top of this mountain and he finally has some alone time and he's there to pray by himself. And lest anyone think they're spiritual enough that they are close enough to God that they no longer need to seek out to him or seek out Uh, to know him more through God's word, we see an example here from Jesus alone that even he would break away to spend time with his heavenly father. And so here he is alone. And in verse 24, the boat now, this is the boat that he told his disciples to get onto to cross 
uh, to the other side ahead of him. The boat now, hundreds of yards from ashore, was being thrown around by the waves because it was going against the wind. Now between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, he came to them. Now, the thing that is really interesting is it's in the middle of the night, and there's obviously a storm. Now, the last time I witnessed a storm in the middle of the night, it was pretty dark. There wasn't a moon to illuminate what was going on, and visibility was to a minimum. I couldn't see miles or even yards out. So it was pretty miraculous just to experience this visual here that Jesus on a mountain could still see what his disciples were going through. Isn't it great to know that what we're going through, even if it seems bleak, even though it might seem difficult, even though it might seem like no one around could even comprehend or even God himself couldn't see what we're going through. Here's an example that even though circumstances might prove that it would be impossible to be seen, God sees what we're going through. And I love that Jesus is there and he sees them and he goes to them at six or between three and six in the morning. And it says here he was walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, It's a ghost. And they began to scream because they were afraid. And immediately just Jesus says, Calm down. It's me. Don't be afraid. And then here's Peter. Peter the crazy one. Peter the one that was willing to try almost anything, it seems like. And he says, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. I wonder how many big things that God's just waiting to give us the go-ahead to if we would just have the the boldness to speak to speak out, to cry out to him. I wonder how many big things that God's waiting for you to, to just step out in faith to do. I wonder how many things that he's just waiting to see happen through us because we're willing. Maybe it's step out of a boat in faith. Maybe it's to lay our hands upon a sick person and, and see them recover. Maybe it's, what is it? Maybe it's a gift of faith. Maybe it's to operate in some form of a gift. Who knows what it is? But I know that God is not going to leave us hanging and he's just waiting for us to step out in faith. I wonder if, now, God is sovereign. God knows all things, but Jesus was fully man in this moment. And I just, I just happen to think that maybe Jesus didn't expect Peter to get out of the boat. But Peter's faith alone, Jesus couldn't deny the opportunity to let him grow in that faith. So Peter, Jesus says, come, get out of the boat. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water towards Jesus. Can you imagine how amazing Peter must have felt in this moment? You know, we've heard that phrase that uh, when, when we've messed up, somebody says, I've only known one person to walk on water, and they crucified him, right? I've only known one man that lived perfect, and they crucified him. No, two people have walked on water. We've got to make sure we've got to get it right. Peter got out of the boat. Jesus isn't the only one that's capable of doing, oh my goodness, Jesus isn't the only one that's capable of doing the things that he did. He's not the only one capable of healing the sick. He's not the only one capable of raising the dead. He's not the only one that's capable of doing these great and mighty things. The Bible says that we would do even greater things than he would do or did. So here's Jesus and Peter and they're walking on water, but in verse 30, when he, uh, Peter noticed how strong the wind was, he became afraid and he started to sink and he shouted, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for always being there when we step out in faith. Because when we step out in faith, it is not always safe. 
And it's not always lack of fear involved. It's, always, it's oftentimes scary is what I'm trying to say. Jesus reached out and he caught a hold of him and he said, you have so little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped blowing. The men in the boat bowed down in front of Jesus and they said, truly, you are the son of God. Many scholars will say that this is the very moment in which they truly experienced the revelation of who Jesus was. Many scholars say they they had witnessed Jesus. They believed with their mouth that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, but it was in this moment that they believed with their heart that he was the Messiah, that he was truly God in flesh. This was the moment in which reality hit them as to who they were in the presence of, that this was the man that could command the seas, that could command the the weather, that had authority over death, that had authority over sickness, that had authority over everything that he came in contact with. And now for the first time, it no longer was just lip service. It was true to the heart. What a neat story. One of my favorite stories in all of the, of course, they're always my favorite when I'm preaching. But anyway, uh, whatever story I'm preaching out of this week is my favorite story. But this one truly is a remarkable story. But I want us to look, if we can, at Mark's account, John Mark's account of this. Um, because it's, it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. <laughs> Excuse me. Mark chapter 6. And in verse 45. Again, after feeding the multitude, the 5,000 men plus women and children, it says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up onto the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out at the sea, and he was alone alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, did you catch what was missing in this account? Did you notice that there was a huge portion that was missing in this whole passage here? Matthew's account had a particular instance or occurrence of faith. Do you remember? Matthew had who getting out of the boat? Had Peter getting out of the boat? What was missing here? Why did Mark leave a pretty significant part out? Now, I want to reread this scripture again, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. And I'm going to break out some things for us. And then I'm going to give us some observations. And then we're going to go home and we're going to eat. And that's just how this works on Sunday. But uh, anyway, uh, look at this with me. I'm going, to, I'm going to go back and forth between the Passion Translation and the ESV Translation. Um, because I can. And because my notes are in front of me. And they're not in front of you. So Jesus walks on water again. So um, Now, I want to read it out of the ESV one more time, then I'll come back to the Passion Translation. It says, Immediately he got his disciples into the boat to go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, and he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out to the sea, and he was alone alone on the land. And there it is again, the important revelation he saw. And he saw. Again, Mark, recognizing the significance of being seen by the king, even though he was at a distance away, and they were making headway painfully. 
a different way of describing, right? They were travailing, they were struggling. I, I, I like the description that sometimes in my own life that I'm making headway painfully. I, I might be making a little bit of ground, but it's painful. It hurts so bad. There's, there might be struggle involved in the, the advancing forward. There was headway painfully for the wind that was against them. Oh, I hate it when the wind is against you. I'm going to look at this very closely. For the wind was against them, and at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Look at these six words. And meant to pass by them. He did not intend to walk up to the boat, but to pass by them. You see, this book was written to a bunch of good Jews. And a good Jew would have recognized immediately in the verbiage an Exodus account of when God was meant to walk by Moses. An account here that a good Jew would see this and see that in this very moment, Jesus is making a very bold declaration of who he is by his actions. He's being very bold not just to walk up to the boat, but to demonstrate his glory by walking past the boat and making a great, great, great reference back to Exodus 33. We're going to look at that in just a minute. They saw him walking on the sea. They thought it was a ghost. Passion translation time. After everyone had their meal, Jesus instructed his disciples to get back in the boat. I know we're reading the same passage over and over again, but... My goodness, there's, I, this could preach a better sermon than I could ever preach. The words of the Bible, we could get up here and we could just read them and, and gain so much knowledge. I love that God gives us revelation, wants to break it out and pour, pour more into it sometimes. But sometimes we just need to get ourselves out of the way and hear what the word of God has to say to us. So listen, after everyone had their meal, Jesus instructed his disciples to get back into the boat and go ahead of him and sail to the other side to Bethsaida. So his disciple, so he dispersed the crowd, said goodbye to his disciples, and slipped away to pray on the mountain. As night fell, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. The wind was against the disciples, and he could see that they were straining at the oars, trying to make headway. When it was almost morning, Jesus came to them walking on the surface of the water, and he started to pass by them. When they all saw him walking on the waves, they thought he was a ghost, and they screamed out in terror. But he said to them at once, don't yield to fear. Listen to the language there. Don't yield to fear. Have courage. It's really me. I am. Then he came closer. He climbed in the boat with them, and immediately the storm wind became still. They were completely and utterly overwhelmed with astonishment because they failed to learn the lesson of the miracle of the loaves, and their hearts were unwilling to learn the lesson. I want to share with you four observations about following Jesus. Number one, God's provision is in his command. You'll hear me say this. If, you're, if you hang out with us any time here, you'll hear me say this over and over and over again. When Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side, 
there is no weapon that could be formed against them that could cause them to not prosper in what he had commanded him to do. His provision is in his command. When he calls you to do something, the provision will follow. He will get you to the other side of what he's called you to do. When he's told you to go somewhere, the promise is in the simple command of go. He doesn't have to say, I'm going to have you go here, and I promise you'll get there. The fact that he has said, go, is all the promise that you'll ever need. The disciples needed that reminder when Jesus showed up at the boat. I think he always intended to meet them. Why do I know that? He said to get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He fully intended to get to the other side. And I think he fully intended just to walk. Just to walk, not around, not under, but across. And he was going to meet them and prove to him his provision. My my second observation. There will always be a storm. And he will always be present in the midst of the storm. When we say yes to Jesus, we're not saying yes to things being perfect. When we say yes to his call, we're not saying that things are going to be great from that moment on. When we accept Jesus and we say, I'm going to serve you, you, and we're going to step into your kingdom and do things your way, that doesn't mean that everything becomes easy. That doesn't mean the enemy no longer can attack us. It just means that he is present in the midst of the storm. The 23rd Psalm brilliantly explains how he is with us and how he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. You see, the storm is always out there, but he is always with us. And you know what Jesus does when it storms? He rests. You know what he wants us to do when it storms? Follow his example. Rest. And you know, I think in every one of our lives, there's a time when the storm is raging, struggles are happening. Maybe we find ourselves, we've probably all used, every one of us used this phrase, I'm in the desert. I'm going through a desert time. I'm in the wilderness. Something to that extent. I think even we have found ourselves saying, Jesus, where are you? Why does it appear like you have passed me by? That leads me to my third observation. When it appears, listen carefully. When it appears that Jesus has walked by, he's simply revealing himself. You catch that? Isn't that good? When it appears that he is absent, he is simply revealing himself. You see that reference to Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. In verse 14, he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
You see that? I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and and I, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? And I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. What an awesome thing. Can you imagine hearing that from God? I know you by name. I know you by name. That's a promise that we all have, that he knows us by name. When we step into his kingdom, and I don't mean like at the end of the time we draw our last breath. I mean when we truly step into the kingdom of God and recognize that he is king, that this is his kingdom Dumb meaning domain, his culture. Domain is dealing with his culture, that we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. When we truly align ourselves with that kind of a culture, he can say, I do know you by name. We're not committing treason by trying to sit on the throne and take the throne from him, but we're committing the exact thing that we should, and that's sit at his feet as he sits on the throne. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. You realize what Jesus was doing when he appeared to pass by the boat? He's making all of his goodness pass before him. And I will proclaim before you my name. Remember what Jesus said? He says, I am. Taking on in the exact words of what God says right here. I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, for I am. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for you shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place where you shall stand in the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. See, Jesus was just as Moses demonstrated. And, and we, we also read later, later on in, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, there's this great account, this great picture of, of a fading glory. You know, Moses came down from that account, and there was a glory that shone upon him, and he had to veil himself, not because people couldn't look into his face, but because that glory would fade, and he had to veil so people would not see that fading Glory, But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we have something greater and a glory that we have access to that will not fade. And the disciples encountered that on the boat that day when they truly had the revelation of who Jesus was. And, the, and in this time, the Bible never contradicts itself. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But yes, we may not be able to look into the face of God, but the disciples were able to look into the face of God. His name was Jesus, and he revealed himself in true form, and he wants to reveal himself to us as his people. Something happened in Mark's account. Most scholars believe that this isn't actually Mark telling the story, but he's just penning the story as Peter tells it. He's just the dictator. Dictator? That's not the right word. The, he's just transcribing it. He, he's taking dictation. 
Peter is talking and John, Mark, is writing. Why would Peter leave out the most significant thing, the coolest thing? I think the second chapter of Acts, when he gets to preach the very first sermon ever preached by somebody other than Jesus, where 3,000 people come to know Jesus, is pretty significant. But the one of the coolest things that Peter could do, walking on water, why would he leave that out? Because I'm pretty sure that if I were telling this story, I wouldn't be embarrassed embarrassed that I got a little freaked out and started to sink because Jesus still reached out and together Jesus and Peter still walked back to the boat. Think about that. If I were Peter, I'd have like volumes of books, how-to books, how to lead by walking on water, right? How to, how to do this by, by walking on water, the 10 fundamentals that I learned by walking on water, right? Because it's in this moment that they had their revelation of who Jesus was. That leads to my fourth observation. Knowing that in Mark, as he writes Peter's account of Jesus walk, on walking water. On walk, on Jesus' account of walking on water. We realize it's not our story. It was Jesus's. can only imagine that Mark was so, or Peter was so moved by the revelation of who Jesus was that what Peter did had no significance to the story whatsoever. For it's all about Jesus. What we do here, it's all about Jesus. When we get to go out and we get to lay hands on people and watch them recover, it's all about Jesus. When people gather in this place and the Spirit of God moves in this place, it's not about great anything. It's not about my ability to to speak. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes I don't even know what I've said. But it's not about this. It's about Jesus. For this is what I know. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Moses. He's the promised Jewish Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all of the law and the prophets. It's Him. He's the Lion and the Lamb. He's the Lily of the Valley. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the point of life. He's the point of all existence. Peter's saying, it's Him. It's Him. The hills declare the animals and the seas and the rivers and the trees declare His glory. It's Him. It's all about Him. And that's an expanded revelation. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. That's who I get to love. That's who loves me. That's who I get to serve. I can only pray that as the disciples were sitting there in the boat, and the Bible says here, their hearts were hardened. Because they did not understand about the loaves. And I was praying, God, what does that have to do? That seems so out of place for this story. They have this revelation of who you are and then their hearts were hardened. I felt like he said to me, 
that there was distress in them because they failed to recognize whose presence they were in while he was doing all of these miracles. That they missed out on the revelation of Jesus. That if they had had the revelation of who Jesus was prior to this, they would have worshipped different. They would have walked with him different. They would have encountered his presence different. They would have loved different. They would have interacted different. They would have moved differently. They would have done all kinds of things differently. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.